0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. This is Gabe BC, your host. You can find us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter, or you can always send me an email also uh, to Gabe at art.org. So uh, we're winding summer down here. I'm getting ready to start teaching again, this time on Zoom. I'm trying to think of curious and interesting ways to use Zoom in the classroom, like not just to teach people, but to kind of hack and take apart. So I'm giving my students a a challenge to retell a traditional fairy tale or story that everybody knows uh, as a Zoom theater work. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. I'm trying to uh, subvert the medium a little bit, teaching them how to hack apart the background of Zoom and replace it with live feeds from other software. And maybe if we can embrace the chaos that's coming our way with digital teaching the students will get inspired that's my hope at least for the semester we'll see Um, this episode is really great Uh, it's featuring an artist named Cameron Neal who I met a couple years ago at this video mapping festival in Florida and Cameron actually won the first place prize for his work liquid love which is an incredible looping animation that was projected on the side of a building Uh, I was a judge at this festival and I was blown away by this work and uh, I've been kind of staying in touch with Cameron over the years. So I, I wanted to invite him to be on the podcast because his work is amazing, moving, detailed animations uh, about persona, bodies. Uh, he'll tell you all about it. We get, we get into a lot of uh, interesting discussions about what it means to make art on Instagram, to make intensely personal art, uh, and to also do theatrical video design. So let's welcome Cameron Neal to the podcast. Hey, Cameron. Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, you work across many different formats and mediums. Uh, How would you describe your style yourself as an artist?
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a a question I'm always kind of redefining or or like trying to to answer for myself. Um, So I'm a visual artist. I, I think that kind of spans multiple disciplines, but I feel like I'm primarily kind of working in video in this current moment. I'm also a multidisciplinary designer. Um, I have a background as a graphic designer, but also um, design video, um, and I work in I work as in performance as well. Sometimes that lives in the sometimes that lives in the theater. And
0: with your graphic design background, uh, is that like 2D design that you were working on before?
1: Yeah, mostly. I mean, so like in undergrad, I studied graphic design and like a um, as a part of a larger visual art program and most of that was kind of working in print um, mediums so I feel like so much of my practice today and the things that I'm exploring kind of come through those um, design thinking origins and kind of ways of thinking about how to solve problems. Hmm, interesting uh, what kind of problems would you say you were, you were
0: solving like back in the day when you're doing design? I mean, I think
1: there's the the client component is right. always a is always a part of that. So I feel like it's very much about how do you like synthesize information and make a connection between point A and point B in a way that kind of meets everyone's needs.
0: Yeah, I think there's a highly graphic element to your work. I mean, I was first introduced to your work at a event called Digital Graffiti, which is in Florida. Um can you tell us a little bit about the work that you presented there? This, it was a piece called Liquid Love and I was just kind of blown away by it. Um, so much so that we, uh, we gave you the first prize <laughs> for this work, but, uh, tell us a <laughs> little How did that piece, how did it come about? Like, uh, where, where did it come from? And you're, you're in it and you're in a lot of your work and I want to talk about that, but can you describe Liquid Love? Like, where was the inspiration for that piece from?
1: Yeah, I mean, that it's like a piece that I kind of worked on over a long period of time, which is not necessarily indicative of a lot of the videos that I make. I feel like they often come together very quickly. Um, but the piece started off with me just kind of um, thinking about this gesture that I've seen. And I guess it's like maybe associated with like teenage boys where they like lick like their pinky and their thumb and then like smooth out their eyebrows. <laughs> um, and it, it seemed like this kind of ludicrous thing thing to me and I just I don't know why it came to me but I couldn't really stop thinking about it um and and so for like maybe over like the course of a month I was kind of playing with that gesture in the mirror and trying to like figure out how to like exploit it or like re-envision this idea um and I just kind of kept like workshopping this idea and and it kind of became this exaggerated um gesture where I licked my hand and then like or like four the four fingers of my hand and then um, wiped my eyebrow and then I was trying to figure out how to like make that into a piece um, and I ended up recording recording video of myself in many different locations um, in Brooklyn where I live um, and then it kind of sp- it, like exported stills of that and then made it into the stop motion piece and it's this kind of like rapid fire like looping gif um of me kind of exploiting this gesture that i had been playing with what was it about that gesture that intrigued you so much well i think in some ways and i think at the time when i was like working on the piece too i was thinking a lot about it it felt like self-care and self-love was becoming a part of the the conversation i think it's like very present today but i feel like as that was starting to um kind of gained some momentum I was kind of interested in that idea and also thought the idea seemed a little something about it seemed a little funny to me um so I think I was really kind of trying to figure out how to like how to heighten that idea or how to like how to express that visually in a way it's almost almost like make a caricature of Hmm. what self-love might look like are you playing sort of a character in this piece do you think or is it you I think it's, I think, I think in a lot of my pieces, there, there's, it's a, there's a, I think there is some character that's kind of coming through. Cause I think, I think I do, there is like, I think in some of my work, there is some of a persona that I take on. Cause I think in my like day to day life, I tend to be um, a kind of quiet introverted person. And mm-hmm. I think the the persona that lives in my work is a little bit more absurd <laughs> than that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how would you describe that persona? I mean, I'm I'm just thinking about liquid love and it seems like this character that's, you know, the backgrounds are like super pop bright colors. Um, and this character seems very confident and is like expressing this gesture. Can you define that character? Like, do you start with a character or do you start with the gesture and then kind of develop the character from that gesture?
1: I think it usually comes from the gesture. Like, I think that's like, that's the origin of a lot of, um, a lot of the work is kind of thinking about motion and how something kind of, um, works and time and then i mean loops are also at least in like the earlier videos that i was making are also so such an important tool in trying to kind of figure out how to keep something intriguing over a period of time when there really is no beginning or end to the piece like how can you keep finding new information inside of that um so i feel like yeah i feel like gesture is really at the at the heart of that practice it's interesting and, and this piece you
0: originally developed for like how was it meant to be displayed originally i mean when i saw it, it was a giant projection on this building but was that the original intention for the display
1: I originally made it for Instagram, honestly. Hmm. I mean, Instagram was kind of the, Instagram is what got me into making videos. Um, Like at the time they had just like 15 second videos were the only option that you had. And like, I wasn't on Instagram and my cousin was like, I'm going to make you an Instagram. And then I kind of started using the platform and that was it for a while. It was kind of the sketchbook for me in a way to like really quickly kind of get out ideas and put them out into the world without putting that much thought into them. Um, So that's really, the piece was really kind of made for the like rapid fire way that people consume images on the internet. Hmm, Interesting. Was was it different for you to see it projected at a large
0: scale at that, uh, at digital graffiti?
1: Yeah, it was really strange and exciting to kind of see it live in a space. And I feel like participating in digital graffiti really kind of changed my thinking about what I can do um, with video and media and how I can actually like start to um, expand that that practice.
0: It was kind of a it's a weird place, digital graffiti. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't really heard of it myself before I went down there. <laughs> I was asked to be like a judge that one year that you were, you started. Um, like, what did you think of the whole festival itself? I mean, I, I've i never heard of this town, which is apparently like this sort of designed town in Florida where they have this big video projection festival. How did you get involved with it?
1: Yeah, so i had actually attended um, maybe two years prior to when we met at the festival because mm. I had some friends that were showing work there. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is just like the most surreal, like, art festival slash, like, kind of bougie party um yeah it, it was just like it was such an odd um experience, but also seemed like an exciting opportunity to show work in such a unique environment um so kind of after attending a few years prior, I just thought this piece would work really well in in that context and decided to to submit it, yeah, the reaction was amazing, I mean people were really
0: interested and moved by the piece, I think. Um And you won like the first place prize for that year, and so you were invited to come back and What did you create when you went back for the second time, or I guess the third time technically?
1: yeah, so I turned to digital graffiti as an artist in residence um and I had the opportunity this time to make a piece that was site specific and responsive to the environment around it um and they picked the location, and I Basically, got got placed at the entrance of the festival, um, and had a projection on these projections on these two buildings that were adjacent to one another. So you kind of had to walk through the buildings um, as you entered the festival. And this piece was also a self portrait, but I think it was larger in scale than Liquid Love was originally. Um, so on one wall, there you saw my nude body and I was kind of playing with this idea of drowning in your sorrows. So I'm there on the wall and I'm crying. And then as I'm crying, the tears kind of fill up the frame. Um, and then the piece starts anew and it kind of happens over and over again. And then on the other building, you kind of see my large heads in conversation with one another, and one head pops out, and then vomit fills the frame, Um, and then the other head pops out from the other side, and that's kind of the loop that's happening on that side of the, um, on that aspect of the piece. And overall, I was kind of interested in thinking about queer intimacy and the ways that we get close to one another, and how you can share information or ideas through bodily fluids, whether you're in conversation Um, and are sharing saliva particles through the air, which seems um, kind of like a pressurized thing to think about in this COVID moment. Um, Or also if you're, you know, making love to someone or kissing someone, there are all these ways that you kind of exchange bodily fluids with one another. I'm curious, um, you know, Alice Beach is predominantly white.
0: Uh, Do you feel comfortable speaking to your experience as a Black artist presenting your body in such a public manner, within this setting of the festival?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really it's really interesting and kind of complicated in some ways. Like, I think for the people in that area, it was probably um, new for them to see this Black man on a building that's like 20 plus feet tall, um, to kind of see someone at that scale. And it was also kind of striking to interact with people and see the ways that they, um, consume the piece like I think there was kind of a lot of absurd um, humor that I was infusing into it but I think Hmm. some people also kind of took a more sad tone or like response to the piece. And I think what was also kind of interesting about it is like, you know, I was invited to Alice beach to kind of produce and show this work. And also like one of the nights that I was like developing the piece, I was riding my bike back to like the guest house and got pulled over on a bike, you know, and was kind of, um, questioned in an aggressive way. Um, and then it turned okay, out like a police, like a police officer pulled you over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a police officer pulled me over on, on the bike, you know, full lights, full everything. Um, and it's also like, you know, that was like the third time I've been pulled over by the police on a bike. Um, wow. but you know, so I was like questioned about, you know, what I was doing and I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm here as an artist in residence. I'm here for work. And then it turns out that, Um, that officer had seen my body displayed largely Hmm. on the wall. Um, and, you know, Do you think that that's part of why the
0: officer pulled you over? Or do you think that the officer kind of recognized you as this artist? Or I'm kind of
1: curious how that interaction took place. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that they, that the officer pulled me over because, um, they had recognized me originally. Um, I think it was, I'm not sure why they pulled me over. Um, I could like continue to like speculate for, for their reasoning. Um, cause they didn't really give me one, but I do think that like, you know, I wonder what would have happened if I wasn't there as an artist, if they, if my work hadn't been so visible, um, mm-hmm. how things might've, um, happened differently.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's terrible. And, you know, Amazing that, that you had this giant portrait of yourself behind uh, crying during this experience, too. Um, yeah, like, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think the piece was received by other people at the festival? I mean, you said, like, some people didn't really understand the humor in it. Were there any other reactions that you got from the piece?
1: I think some people said that it was like, I think some people like it resonated with them and they said that it was kind of um, like a powerful and emotional um, meditation. And I think other people kind of, I think some people did kind of understand the, um, the kind of tongue in cheek nature mm-hmm. of it as well. Because I think it is, you know, I think, I think there are ways to read it where it takes a more heavy tone. Um, but I think in a lot of my work, I'm kind of trying to figure out how to, um, how to flip that on its head or kind of exploit that a little bit.
0: If we talk about the character in Liquid Love as being this sort of confident, um youthful character, what, is, what was the character of Groundwater Volume 1 and 2? Or characters, I should say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe there are two characters. Well, I feel like the ones that are like vomiting vomiting on each other are probably more of like it's probably more of like a jokester <laughs> um <laughs> character in some ways. And I think the other one takes a more a more somber tone. Um yeah I'm trying to think about how to describe the other how I would describe the other character. Um, I don't know. I think there's kind of this like contentment that I'm like exploring inside of that. I think I think it's definitely the more like static piece. I think the other one is, is or the, the part of the piece I think the other piece is a little bit more um, high energy and energetic, and this one's a little bit more like contemplative or um inward looking
0: would you show this work in a different context or is it made specifically for this festival
1: in this town? Yeah, I would show it in another context and I have. Um, But I think it it also didn't work as well. The second time that I Hmm. showed it, I think there was something about um, the, the, the way that the buildings were in relationship to one another. Like I think having, being forced to kind of walk through the piece or like move through the piece, I think helped to kind of bring the story through a little bit. and I think the second time that I showed it, um, both pieces were kind of living on the same surface and they also just didn't have the like I think I think it needs scale. like I think it kind of needs to be huge in order to have impact. I feel like if you're looking at um, with this piece in particular, if you're kind of looking at another person that's close to your scale, it doesn't quite um, it doesn't quite tell the same story. Right, yeah, that makes sense.
0: And are you going to continue to work in video mapping are you, Are you still working with giant building size projections?
1: Yeah, I hope to. I feel like I'm really itching to do that now um in this mm-hmm. like pandemic moment. I don't know if we're allowed to do that. I don't know what the like regulations are, but I'm like itching to do some type of kind of pop up projection somewhere. Well, if you, if you need a projector,
0: I'm happy to loan you. (laughs) If you have a, if you have an idea for something, let me know. I could probably cart over a projector from NYU. Don't tell NYU. We'll figure it out. I will Um, (laughs) will definitely
1: keep
0: you in mind. Did we talk about, we talked about, oh, something, doing something at NYU. Oh yeah. uh, I was trying to get a turntable Maybe before the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. I've got one if you, well, I don't know if I still have one, if it's still there, but. Um, I want to talk about your piece, Cosmetic Surgery. Um, this is a more recent piece, is that correct? Or did you make this piece before? Yeah, Crown this piece water? was
1: made a couple of months ago, so it's very recent.
0: Um, In the piece, you tell an anecdote from your childhood about a neighbor who had a Confederate flag in his front yard. um, And in this case, it encouraged you to avoid him as a neighbor. Like it kind of acted as the symbol that showed what was going on in the mindset of the person in this house. Um, But you also sort of wonder what would have happened if the flag had not been there. Can you tell us about this piece, how you presented it and sort of
1: why you chose to present it in the way that you did? Yeah. So I think in this like current moment, I feel like there's this kind of grand reckoning that's happening. Um, And I think people are thinking a lot about um, race and identity and the different symbols and the ways that like we have communicated that historically and like noticing how maybe some of those ideas are things don't hold up in this current moment. Um, And I think as the kind of conversation around removing these Confederate symbols was kind of gaining some momentum, I kind of kept having flashbacks and kept thinking about this house um, that was like really close to my childhood home that I would like walk by all the time. Um, And I was kind of thinking about like the other neighborhood boys, um, that were white and like, was kind of wondering what their relationship to this house was. Um, and I think as people kind of, did you ever have conversations with, with them about that? No, no. I feel like now I want to. Um, but I, it wasn't really a thing that I had like thought about until, um, until this current moment. And also for a while I was, um, I was staying in Massachusetts with my partner, Misha, at his family's place and I was kind of walking around and seeing all of these um, Black Lives Matter signs in the yard and was just kind of thinking about kind of the ways that people mark their property to kind of express their their views. Um, And I think in thinking about the removal of these Confederate symbols, I always, I kind of started to wonder if there are kind of ways to kind of complicate that conversation or think about it um, to think about it differently. And hmm. I, I kind of felt like seeing that flag in the yard was kind of provided me with all the information that I needed to know. I was like, oh, well, you know, if I'm in proximity to this house, I'm like, I know that I need to be aware. I need to like know what's happening in my surroundings. I shouldn't linger here for too long. Um, and I guess I wonder in this, In this world if 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 we are i wonder what happens when you remove these symbols um and when those warning signs aren't there anymore um because i think in some ways i you know i really do understand the impulse behind that um but i also i guess i wonder what happens below the surface like if if that symbol is no longer there, am I actually safer? Have we actually changed anyone's minds or views? Have we actually shifted the conversation or shifted things forward? Um, so I think this piece is really kind of a meditation on on that. It's interesting.
0: I mean, the idea that maybe these feelings still go inside the house then instead of being presented on the, the yard. Yeah, the like how, yard. Do we, how
1: do we actually penetrate um those those symbols and have more meaningful conversations.
0: And how is the piece put together? Uh, how did you cho- choose to create it in the way that you did?
1: Yeah, so I think you know I've been exploring self-portraiture in my practice for um, many years now, and I think in this moment, kind of thinking about um, the way that people are um, kind of framing or th- thinking about black bodies. Like I feel like there's there are all these kind of ideas that are being placed on that in this current moment. Um, like black people um, as victims of like systemic racism, um, which I think is true in in many ways. Um, but I think kind of understanding the ideas that are being placed on me, I was kind of feeling less comfortable with putting my body into my work because of that. And so I really started writing and trying, started trying to figure out how to communicate these ideas and feelings through text, um, which is something that I haven't done a whole lot of in my work previously. So I still think of this piece as a, um, as a self-portrait in many ways, but it lives as this text piece and it's, I guess, the form, I mean, it's, it's a digital piece but it's kind of nodding to like 30, like a 35 millimeter slide projector. So the text is delivered Mm. on these, um, on these slides. So instead of seeing images, which is what you might expect, if you're kind of looking at slides, you're kind of moving through this, this story textually.
0: And why slides? What was it about that sort of analog format that intrigued you to, to represent this story specifically?
1: Yeah, I really wanted to feel like, I wanted it to feel like there was some type of human presence or some storyteller present. Like I didn't want to just present the text um, as is. Cause I think especially on the internet, it tends to feel cold and absent of like any mm. human behind it. Um, so I kind of wanted to have this old school analog feel and you can hear the you can hear as the like button of the slide projector is being pressed to move to the next slide in the carousel and the, the timing of that is kind of inconsistent um, much like it would be if, if a human was behind it so it was really just to kind of have a, like myself as a as a storyteller still present
0: it's interesting. There seems to be an analog element to a lot of your work now that I'm thinking about it. Like like the fact that Liquid Love has this stop motion feel to it, um as does sort of Ground Groundwater as well. Uh is that does that come from your design background? Like the idea of working with physical materials with more analog materials but then putting it into this digital realm?
1: Yeah, I think so. Like I really um I really love working with my hands. I guess none of those are actually examples of working with my hands, but I um <laughs> I really Um, there's something about being able to kind of feel the work. I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of kind of digital and new media work, I think tends to move very much in like the other, the other direction where it's this kind of hyper slick um, kind of surreal environment that people are like working within. And I think I tend to be drawn to something that feels a little bit um, messier and a little bit more handmade yeah, no, I'm, I'm the exact same way.
0: I, every time I see sort of these new Instagram animations that are done on really high powered rendering systems, I feel a little bit like the humanity is lost yeah. in them. <laughs> uh, especially when you're telling such personal intimate kind of stories in your work or these portraits of people uh, or characters, I should say. Did, did your friends ever see uh the piece after you're finished, the cosmetic surgery piece? Did your friends, I guess I didn't even ask you where you grew up. Um, where did you grow up and did you ever show this piece to your friends?
1: Um I grew up in North Carolina um in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm. And I mean it's 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 living. the piece is living online currently, so there's been some um interaction online. I haven't um haven't directly shown it to these um these neighborhood boys that I've mentioned, but I'm really really yeah. curious to see what their reaction would be um and yeah, and I'm actually excited that I'm going to be showing the piece again um, at um, the galleries at Davidson College, which is in North Carolina as well. So I'm actually really excited to have the opportunity to show the piece in North Carolina because um, I think it will kind of resonate with that audience in a certain way. When is that? It's happen- happening in, it's like mid-October through February. Oh, that's great. That's super exciting.
0: Um, in our last conversation, we, we had a conversation before, you were mentioning that you were currently collaborating on some projects with your partner, Misha, that explore your relationship with death. Um, can you tell us a little bit about these projects?
1: Yeah, so my partner, Shyok Misha Chowdhury, who's like, we collaborate, and we're also like romantic life partners. Um, and he's <laughs> a theater director and a writer. Um, and obviously I have my video and visual art practice um so we developed this piece called mukagni um that we presented at the public theaters under the radar festival as a part of their um incoming series and it's this multimedia piece that we like co-created that we also perform in we're like fully nude for the performances um and there's like there's a ton of video in the piece and there's um, and I think video kind of, you know, we're, we're, projecting on our bodies, um, mouths are also very kind of heavily infused into the piece. So it's, it's like really kind of exploring form in many different ways. Like it's an episodic piece. So every kind of moment in the show feels different. So there are some moments where we are like delivering dialogue on stage. There are also moments where we have pre-recorded conversations, um, or where video is kind of leading those, those conversations as well.
0: Yeah, I watched the piece recently. I thought it was amazing how you use video on people's bodies, on your bodies, um, sort of this unconventional surface. And you know, there's one moment where you project a mouth onto your partner's back and you're sitting there eating in front of this mouth that's also eating and it's... Can you, I'm just really curious about that moment. Like, how did that design come about? Like, was it through a conversation with your partner? Did you have this image in your mind originally? Yeah,
1: I mean, that's actually one of the first images that we like created for the piece. Like, we did a workshop like a very long time ago, and like all we did was that one moment that you're <laughs> that you're mentioning. Mm. Um, so the piece, or like Mukhagni, the name of the piece, comes out of this Hindu um, Sanskrit word. Um, which basically means mouth fire. Um, and the, the the whole piece kind of came to be, cause I was talking with my partner, Misha, who's Bengali about death. And he told me the story about his grandmother and the um, crematory um, rituals that they have around um, kind of burying your loved ones where you um, put fire into the mouth of the dead. And that's kind of how you start the cremation. So like mouths really became essential to our um, telling of the piece. And I think initially our like original ideas were like, how do we like tell a story about a pair of lips and then have them essentially burn at the end, which I guess is what happened in the piece. But I think inside of that, we kind of started exploring so many different things. Um, But that moment in particular was really just um, kind of an introduction of that motif and it's my mouth like my lips that are projected onto his back and I'm kind of rambling in this non-verbal way um, through video and I'm also cooking meat um so I think we were trying to kind of like I'm cooking meat on a like on a hot plate in the space like smoke is coming up and the room is kind of filling with that scent so that was kind of And it happens very early in the piece. It's like one of the opening moments. Um, So we were just kind of trying to figure out how to like, how to start playing with these mouths, how to think about meat and bodies burning um, and kind of bring those things together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The show is, there's definitely like dark moments in the show, but there's also really comedic moments. I, I really appreciate sort of the balance actually in all of your work of this sort of, Dark tones at times, but then with this absurdity as well. Um, and I noticed in the show, there's a lot of sort of anecdotes about your relationship. Uh, are those anecdotes true? Like you mentioned a lot of dates that you've been <laughs> on. Uh, are, are those <laughs> are those actual things that happen on your dates, or is that sort of created as part of the show? Itself? Yeah,
1: I mean, we've like we've kind of described the piece as an auto mythography. Um, so I think in many ways, mm-hmm. it's like rooted in. Things that actually happened in our relationships and conversations that we actually had. Um, But I think we're kind of interested in blurring those lines or not necessarily like cluing you in to when we've um, kind of heightened those stories or tweaked them in in some ways. But a lot of it is true and it's really this like, it's really this chronicling of our relationship in some ways um, and kind of thinking about the inevitable end um, of our lives and what that means as to queer people of color. Um, and, um, and I lost my train of thought. And also just thinking like really, um, thinking really kind of directly about death and trying to do it in a way that isn't um, too sensationalized. Like I think we're kind of speaking about it in a very matter of fact, Way and kind of exploring that, Um, and I think you know sometimes those conversations are can be uncomfortable, and I think that's kind of why there's so much humor in the piece Um, because we didn't want we didn't necessarily want people to walk away kind of um, with this kind of heavy feeling um, after kind of dealing with all of these kind of rich ideas about life and existence.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if if the two of you sit around discussing your death all the time, or if (laughs) this is more for this the show. I mean, we do
1: actually. Like, that's kind of how it all came up because I had been like doing this series about like I was like I did the series about dirt and was like photographing dirt and was thinking about like kind of the um, like the commodification of death or like trying to like if Mm. you if I were to like create this like ultra like organic deluxe dirt that you can like bury your loved one in and my partner Misha was also um had been writing this series of poems about um death and Kali and cremation and all of that so I think we yeah something that we were like already really exploring and then found each other and we're like we're gonna make a whole piece about this.
0: (laughs) Have, Have you thought about how you want your work to sort of live on after you die?
1: Yeah, that's a, um, I don't know how specifically I have thought about that. Like my, my work specifically, I feel like I am like hyper aware of, especially in this, like, I guess I I feel a little bit like I don't have control over that is maybe the, is maybe the answer. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like everything that I do publicly, everything that I do on the internet is no longer mine, including this podcast. Like once this like lives out into in the world i no longer have any control over it i can't control the framing anymore i can't control how people recontextualize this thing um so i guess it kind of feels like something i don't have control over Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and i think especially making digital work it almost feels like you have less control or at least that's how i feel about it sometimes that you have to maintain it or preserve it in some way if you want it to live on and I always ask digital artists if that's important to them or not. And some people are like, oh no, I just want it to get out there and it'll be there to do it, live its own life. And others are sort of obsessive about maintaining control over their their artwork forever. Yeah. Um but it's interesting because so, so much of your work lives on these fleeting moments like the building projections or even stuff online, you know, that you put these loops out and then you kind of let them go. So it's interesting that you're able to let that go. I'm n- I'm not sure if I can. Oh well, I mean, personally. I have
1: complicated feelings about it. And I think there are certain there are certain pieces that I let go and some that I, you know, like to hold on to or maintain some sense of like exclusivity or like, you know, so some things Mm -hmm. that you can hold on to. But yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing because I think so much of my practice kind of started um, on Instagram and like just putting work out there. And now I'm, and now I'm like, and I've been really starting to think differently about what that means and how I can like um, hold on to things or protect my, my work and my identity Mm -hmm. in in some ways. How so? Like, what are you, what are you not
0: releasing on Instagram nowadays?
1: Um, I mean, I have some like longer form pieces, um, that I've like shown in galleries that I haven't, um, shown on Instagram. I mean, I guess there are like works that I hope to sell as well that I'm, you know, trying to keep closer (laughs) to me and not just give away Mm -hmm. to the, um, to the public domain.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Cameron, thank you so much for talking with us today. This has been super interesting, and I love your work, as you know. Um, Before we go, uh, we have a series of rapid-fire questions that we do on State of the Art, which are not even usually about your work. They're just about, you know, you in general. So it's kind of the first thing that pops into your mind. Um, So (laughs) does that sound good? Are you ready? I'm down. (laughs) Um, Who is your favorite designer, or do you have a favorite designer? My
1: favorite designer, I'd have to say Paula Scher. Hmm. And why? Um I think she's a I think she's a badass and has such a bold approach <laughs> and I, you know, had the had the pleasure of working with her at the at the Public Theater so she's always my she's always my favorite. Oh yeah, you you did design
0: for the Public Theater, right?
1: Is that correct? Yeah. That's kind of how I mean, yeah, I was working at the Public Theater as a graphic designer um and then kind of started developing my own practice, but that's kind of my like professional origin story. <laughs> i
0: feel like i've definitely seen your work there as well um i mean your work in the public theater but also outside on the billboards. um what's your favorite gif
1: oh what's my favorite gif oh that's hard i feel like i'm not like i don't necessarily or i guess favorite gif or meme or something i guess meme could also
0: fall in there Like, do you have a a go-to reaction GIF that you use when people are talking to you? No,
1: I don't GIF. I'm not a. I mean, I make GIFs, but I don't think I use them. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I was gonna say, like a lot of your works are looping. I I GIF
1: all the time, but I don't. I usually tend to go for like the kind of awkward smiling emoji, if that is close close enough.
0: Yeah, that that works. (laughs) That definitely works. I feel like I have emojis that I try to stay away from because I hate when people use them with me specifically. Um, That's my (laughs) own problems. Uh, What music would be on the playlist of
1: your life? Oh, wow. The playlist of my life. Maybe James Blake. I would put James Blake on the playlist of my life. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific James Blake song? Um, I'll Come Too.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's a good one definitely it's a very like intense song oh i, I like
1: i like i like intense <laughs> for, like,
0: music i want to feel... oh i do too definitely some i was recently asked to like put together like a for some weird other podcast the the playlist for my own funeral and it was such a weird experience but uh i think that's maybe where i came with this because thinking. Oh, about i would love piece. to
1: hear your funeral um, playlist <laughs> i'll
0: make it available <laughs> it's, it's a good exercise for everybody to do it's design oh, their own funeral that. playlist. Um, uh if you could go visit one place that you haven't been before in the world what would it be and why
1: i would really love to go to london i know that's like not necessarily the most like i've just never been it's on my list so i would love to go to london Mm
0: -hmm. now i'm sure you'll do a show there in the next couple years um and if if not someone listening to this podcast will invite you someone listening bring me to london Uh (laughs) <laughs> well Cameron Neal thanks so much this has been amazing how do people find your work online yeah you can find my
1: work at CameronNeal.com Cameron with the k n-e-a-l um you can also find me on instagram um it's Cameron but the o is an underscore great all right so we'll put, definitely post a link to that in the description
0: of this podcast um and best of luck I look forward to seeing what you're doing yeah in the future. thanks so much Gabe it was great
1: to chat with you
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, you can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at gabe at the state of the Uh, We're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Wesson Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire. And Vanessa Wilson is our producer. And I hope that they're all doing well. And uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit. And they seem like they're safe and healthy. And I hope our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks.